Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Violet Gergich, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Violet, thank you so much for joining us today. You are so welcome. It's great to be here at your office. Mm -hmm. So you are a native Californian. I absolutely am. I was born in Napa many years ago, um, but I was born to Croatian parents who raised me as a Croatian. So I didn't learn to speak English until I was about two years old, but I've lived from St. Helena to Napa and back to St. Helena again. So... Oh. And now I'm back in Napa. So you d- you moved what uh, ten miles away, back and forth. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, well, you've been in the valley for a number of years now. What have you noticed most that has changed over the years? Well, the biggest difference. I mean, I I love food and I love wine. Um, the proliferation of both of those things has really been incredible. You know, when we were here, when I was young, there were a few wineries and I knew all the winemakers and I knew all the wineries. Now I go down the street and I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Um, You know, there was one good restaurant in all of Napa Valley. And now there are so many, you cannot keep track of them. It's really grown in terms of quality, but it still retained its wonderful farming atmosphere, which is, you know, because we have the wineries and we have an agricultural preserve, it's been able to retain that farming way of life, even though we have so many more visitors than we used to. Do you like that? I mean, do you like the growth and and the, do you like all the change that has come with the growth? Well, change is inevitable. It's, it's inevitable in life, and some changes for the better, some's for the worse, but I've always tried to be positive and optimistic, and I always like to see the bright side of things. So having more people come to Napa Valley helps the economy. We've had certainly more people move in here. Our traffic has gotten a bit more crowded, um, and that's not necessarily all the tourists, but a lot of residents and a lot of people who now can't afford to live in Napa who are commuting back and forth to work. But it's still a beautiful place, and it's still, you know, to me, one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. I, I call it nirvana, <laughs> personally. So you said that you have lived in both Napa mm-hmm. and St. Helena. You're mm-hmm. now in Napa. Why have you continued to make that change back and forth? Well, I blame my dad. because uh, <laughs> Of course. He, of course. So we moved to Napa. Um, when I was four years old, and then we moved back to St. Helena when I was nine years oh, old. Oh, okay, so when you were younger. Exactly, and then when I finally came back to live and was trying to find a place to, to purchase, um, the only places that were somewhat reasonable were in the town of Napa. Right. And plus the town of Napa was close to the airport, it was close to other musicians that I played music with, so it made a lot of sense, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, I think Napa today has really come into its own. And it's nice to have the accessibility to San Francisco and to the airports. It absolutely is. When you've been on the road a long time and you drive into Napa and you know, I'm home, rather than, I've got to drive 45 more minutes to Calistoga. Right. You know, as beautiful as it is when you do things that frequently, I'd rather not be in a car. I'd rather be home. Right. 
Yeah. So let's talk about your home. Why don't you give us an idea of what your home's like? If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? Hmm. You know, it's easy for some people to describe. It's not so easy for me. I, I'd say that I have pretty eclectic style. I love color. I love rugs. I have a few Middle Eastern and Oriental rugs, actually more than a few. Um, I have some in a closet because I don't have room for all of oh them. Oh my goodness. So I have a lot of rugs, a um, lot of musical instruments around. And, um, you know, I like things to be comfortable and practical, but also, um, but also interesting. So, you know, I'm just thinking about my, my mother-in-law's uh, friend. So she's Norwegian and she had some friends from Norway visiting us. And they said that, wow, your house is one of the most beautiful uh, American homes we've seen. You know, it's not big, it's not, you know, fancy, but there's something about the way things are put together that she says really reminds me of, of Norway and Europe. So perhaps that's my European background coming up, but I don't know if that gives you any idea at all, but... No, I think it, mm -hmm. I think it does give shed some light into mm -hmm. who you are. Mm -hmm. And lots of books. Lots of books. Everywhere. Um, so you touched on the fact that you have some uh, variety in of musical instruments. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a hobby of yours. Mm -hmm. So would you like to share that with us? I can. Um, so I actually studied music and uh, started with the piano and added on flute and accordion. And when I got to college, I studied music as well and then uh, discovered the harpsichord, which I fell in love with, and learned how to play that and recorder and viola da gamba. And I actually even got a chance to sing in the early music ensemble. Um, so that was, you know, for me, if I could really be a great singer, I would love to, but I don't have a voice. But I'm a good musician and I can keep in tune, so. That was fabulous. And I ended up um, going to Indiana University and studying harpsichord there and meeting my husband. So that was uh, a benefit. And we continue to play music today. Um, he plays viola da gamba. He also plays bass. Uh, he made the bass that he plays, oh, which is great fun. So we'll usually bring out the bass and accordion for events and play fun tunes on them. So including my dad's favorite song. So You Are My Sunshine. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Mm -hmm. Where did you um, develop this fondness for music? Do you know? I think, well, I have a fondness for art, for music, for literature, for language, um, for a lot of different things. And for me, music is, um, music is one of, I, I'd like to say it's probably the highest art because you can pack more into a small quantity of music than just about anything else, I think. Um, so it stimulates all of your senses and they've even done research in terms of musicians. The only profession that you can tell from a brain autopsy is that of musician because it engages all aspects of your brain more than anything else. So more than being a sculptor, a writer, a philosopher, politician. So it's interesting. And there are many uh, people who uh, combine mathematics and science along with music as well as other arts. So it's all encompassing. And I want to know who told you you weren't a good singer? Oh, uh, I did. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I always <laughs> like to say that if I started singing, I would clear a room, but uh, we'll see. Okay, mm -hmm. well, I won't ask you to mm -hmm. sing for us, but um, I think the jury's out whether or not you're a good singer mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. I know that you're an amazing musician and 
what a treat if anyone has a chance to hear you play. Thank you. Um, so we're in wine country. You run a winery. I have to ask, what do you drink at home? Well, Gerga Chills, of course. <laughs> okay, if it's Actually, not Gerga Chills. What? Well, you know, it's interesting because being Croatian, my father grew up in a very small, very poor village. Right. And they produced everything that they consumed. And there's something about that philosophy, I think, that I grew up with. I grew up drinking my dad's wines. And so it just seems very natural to me. Now, I do have other people's wines on occasion. And being in Napa, there's so many wonderful wineries here, you know, with many different styles. I also do have an um, interest in French wines and European wines. I like things that are different and interesting and well-made. So sometimes, I actually remember the first time I tried French wine, I couldn't quite figure out if I liked it or not. And I sort of, you know, was looking at my dad with a sort of strange expression on my face. And, and I said, I, I think it's mostly well-made, but I, I, I don't know if I like it or not. He says, well, let me tell you something. There is a technical term that we use in winemaking, and it's called Frenchiness. And Frenchiness is when there's a little bit something that's just a little bit off in the wine, but that it gives it character and interest. <laughs> and so to this day, I remembered the term Frenchiness and Frenchiness. Uh, Frenchiness. And, uh, you know, the idea is always to have something that is so good that you just want to keep on drinking it. And I've, in a sense, been spoiled by my dad's wines and our winemaking style, which has remained extraordinarily consistent from really the time when I was very, very young. Um, and it's always a great joy to try other people's wines. But I tend to do that when I'm in a restaurant. And, you know, there's a good sommelier, and I, you know, have a wonderful dish and say, well, show me something that I, you think I'd like, you know, what goes with the dish, what goes, you know, with everything else that we're having. And um, I'm often very pleasantly surprised. Do they know who you are? Sometimes. Okay. The, the key would be if mm-hmm. they didn't know who you were and to mm-hmm. see who, what they would recommend. <laughs> be great if they said Gurga mm-hmm. Chills, right? <laughs> well, I remember one time I was in high school and I'd grown up drinking wine and we were, we were dining at Auberge du Soleil. It was literally the first fine restaurant that opened in Napa after the Grapevine Inn, which is where Briggs is now. And um, so I maybe was, you know... 13 or 14 years old, and I was getting really tired of drinking wine and water, and so I asked the waiter, "Um, could I get some root beer, please? Now, it's sort of unusual for for Europeans to like root beer, but I happen to like root beer. And he looked at me and says, Madame, no one has ever ordered root beer here. May I get you some Perrier? So I had some Perrier instead, but anyway... There was a point to that story. I can't remember what it was. I don't know, but it's uh, growing up in Napa. So. It's so cute. Yeah. It's a cute story. Mm-hmm. But you are a mm-hmm. wine girl right. through and through. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this. If you had your perfect wine country dream day, what would it look like? Oh, my gosh. You know, nobody's asked me this question before. <laughs> well, you so probably our- never had a day off. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess it's... it's um, are you asking what my perfect day yes. would be? Yes. What would your perfect day be? Oh, my perfect day is, you know, going on a long walk early in the morning, going kayaking on Napa River, relaxing in the shade on our lawn with a fabulous book, then practicing some Bach, 
and then following up with a wonderful barbecue. My husband really enjoys, as he says, burn meat. And uh, so having fabulous dinner with some Gurgachil's wines and then um, going to bed early. Your perfect day. That's my perfect day in Napa. Yeah. I think it sounds awesome. (laughs) Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. So now let's let's kind of turn to talking about your career. I usually like to ask, what do you remember what your first paying job ever was? Yes, I do actually. You know, I had to think about I thought this. I stumped you there because for a uh, no, you totally stumped me because I think I worked here for many years without receiving a paycheck. Oh, that child labor. Child labor, of course. And I was trying to remember money people get paid to do work. Wow. Um, I actually. Um, Played, uh, I, I was a pianist that accompanied the ballet class at St. Helena High School. And they actually, I think that was my very first paycheck. I was in shock. It was amazing. You got paid. I got you, paid. You didn't know what that was all about. Yeah, it's great stuff. Whereas well, my son knows exactly the value of a dollar. And in fact, when he was seven, he uh, had a panic attack because um, he said, Mama, if I'm going to get my master's in chemistry, that costs a lot of money. And then... If I'm living on my own, that costs even more money. So I need to start earning money right away. Oh, my goodness. So is he working now? He actually is. He's really excited about his paycheck. So what does he do? He's actually been working as a busser in the tasting room and just sort of helping out at events. And, you know, he's 13. And so I figured it was about time that he started to break him in. He doesn't know how good he has at actually getting paid. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Did you? You did. You weren't so lucky. <laughs> I was not so lucky for a while, but I, I had a, it was a great education, I have to say, and I did enjoy it very much. And uh, you know, for me, it wasn't like having a job. It was just like, you know, doing chores around the house. So I grew up in wineries. I, you know, when my dad was at Robert Mondavi, I used to go. I was three years old, and my dad's office was in the tower, and so it felt like I was, you know, a like princess. a princess in a fairy tale, and. And Chateau Montalena, they had the amazing, um, you know, cellar, which was a stone castle built in the side of a hill. And then the incredible lake with the islands. And, and then it was, you know, a very different place here. Actually, used to, um, when my dad and Austin Hills got together, they each were going to contribute one part of the name. And Austin contributed his surname, Hills. And my dad wanted Chateau-style wine, so he contributed Chateau. So it was Chateau Hills. Until when, I guess, Austin's uh, fiance and some of her friends came from San Francisco and they looked around at the concrete and plywood and they looked around and they said, this isn't a chateau. <laughs> so uh, he prevailed upon my dad to change that and I'm very glad he was able to change that to Gurgich instead. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is a good segue to talk about mm-hmm. how you began working in the family business here. When your father did start the winery here, um, what are some of your first jobs that you remember having? Well, the first job was definitely working on the bottling line. And 
when we started the winery, we had this original building. All of the machinery was in various stages of, of age. And so it was sort of a machine, a table, a machine, sort of all cobbled together. And half of the time, you know, we were stuck because the, the labeler didn't work. I think it was from the 1940s. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I always try to, no matter what job I was doing on the bottling line, trying to figure out how to do it better and how to not only make it better in terms of quality, but more efficient in terms of time. And then um, when we weren't bottling, then we were sending out the mailing list. So that involved stuffing and envelope and stuffing and labeling. And so that was another one of those things that could get to be quite tedious, but always thinking, how do I make it better and faster? So you know, after doing those for many years, I also worked in the cellar, then I worked in the laboratory, um, followed by tasting room, um, accounting, shipping, you name it. Then I started to go out and sell wine, which I never thought I could do. But I reasoned that um, our wines were so good that all I had to do was to put a glass in front of somebody, have them take a sip, and then take their order. And essentially, that's what happened. So it made my job very easy. And now you run you run the whole shebang. Well, I'm, I'm president, and yes. my dad decided uh, a few months ago that um, maybe he didn't need to continue being president when he could actually relax and meet people and sign bottles, and I could do all of the heavy lifting. So I'm assisted by my cousin, who's responsible for the vineyards and production, and uh, finally got the title of winemaker, so, and his vice president here. So it's... Um, you know, family business. It's great to be able to work with family. And, you know, besides, um, you know, my son, Eve was, pr- son, my cousin, Eve was productive and he's got six kids and the oldest was working here, Maya, and she's uh, assisting our export director. And Austin Hills actually has a son, Justin, who's working as a brand ambassador as well as in the cellar. So, you know, it's nice to have, you know, next generations of the family come in because, it's a place that we feel very connected to. You know, over the years that we had this one vineyard, this one winery, uh, we eventually ended up purchasing vineyards so that we're all estate grown. And they were purchased many years ago. Our vineyards are farmed organically. They're going to last for many, many, many decades. You know, when the average, um, if you think about the cost of land now in Napa, and if you think about, uh, you see people replanting their vineyards every 20 years or so, uh, that's not a very sustainable business model. So by producing wines, grapes organically, uh, we're able to actually not just have quality, but longevity. And that saves overall. So it's it's a great legacy that my dad has built. And I'm very proud and honored to be able to continue that. How do you keep it fresh? I mean, you've worked, mm-hmm. in, you've worked here for quite mm-hmm. some time. So mm-hmm. how, how do you stay motivated and keep mm-hmm. it fresh? Well, you know, what's interesting is that when I was a kid, I was always focused more on sort of science and art and music, and I just didn't understand business, and I just thought it was dry and boring, and, and uh, you know, I realized that, you know, the more I do, the more there is to do, and there's always something new that comes up every day. So, I, you know, over the you know years, I learned how to use computers here because, you know, somebody told us we needed to have a database for a mailing list, and they ordered the computer and then they they decided to go away. And so I had to figure out how to, you know, run a computer, how to program it. Um, and, you know, over again, many things, you know, keep coming up. So 
every day there's something new. But I think what really makes all the difference is, you know, hearing people talk about how much they love the wine or how much they love my dad. And to see people, you know, just now there was a couple and it was her birthday. And um, she said she could not have had a better birthday present than to talk to my dad. And, and she was crying as she was leaving. And it was just the most touching moment. And, you know, seeing that over and over and over and over again through my lifetime, it's, it's such an amazing connection. Yeah, that appreciation yeah. and mm -hmm. respect and admiration. Mm -hmm. Do you recall the best advice that you received by someone? Actually, my father would tell me this when I was young. And I said, why is he telling me over and over again? Like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But his father told him when he was 10 years old and had to leave home to go to school to every day, do your best, learn something new and make a friend. And uh, that is fabulous advice, whether you take it in your personal life or in your business life. But he also um, has always said to keep things simple. And I, I often use music as an analogy. So many people think that the more notes you play and the faster you play them, the more difficult a piece is. But actually, the less notes you play it's much more difficult because you have to create all of the stuff that comes in between the notes and make it flow and make it believable. It's so much harder to play something slowly, slowly. with few notes than it is to be fast and flashy. And in an essence, that's simplicity. You've taken, you've taken all of the fluff away and what you have is something that can stand on its own. So in a way, that's both simplicity and complexity at the same time. That's something to think about. Is your father your mentor? Or is there somebody else in your life that you would consider your mentor? I guess or I've always considered my father and my mother mentors because they're both such amazing people. And I've learned a lot from both of them. Um, I appreciate meeting people and learning from everyone. So I figure that whoever I meet and whatever kind of interaction I have, I can learn something from them. And so that's always been my goal, to learn from everybody that I meet. And I do, I truly do. And I think you know, when you're open to that, um, your perspective gets bigger and larger and um, you're able to, I guess, maneuver in difficult circumstances easier when things happen let's let's get back to wine because mm -hmm. that's always a fun topic it's a wonderful topic yeah uh Gergit Shells has been around for how long since 1977 today how many cases does Gergit Shells make it's about 70,000 plus wow. or minus okay mm -hmm. we've actually shrunk and it's all estate which is awesome 100% estate 100% organically farmed so um, completely under our control. Which, which is great. Mm -hmm. And how many different varietals? We have five main varietals. So we have Chardonnay that we're most famous for because of that Chateau Montalina 73 that my dad made that won the Paris tasting. Um, most people don't realize that Chardonnay actually earned more points than any of the red wines either. So it was the actual winning wine of the entire tasting. Um, but he also made a Chardonnay... Um, 
1977, which was our first Gurgit Hills, that one at the Chicago Chardonnay Showdown, 221 of the best Chardonnays from around the world. And something else that most people, if they think that my dad is the king of Chardonnay, which he is, but he actually made the 69 Cabernet that made Robert Mondavi famous. And wow. so he had come from Beaulieu Vineyards and worked with Andre Chelichev and helped him make a lot of the BV Private Reserve Cabernets. So his focus had been primarily in white wines prior to joining Chateau Montalena. So he's very, very well versed. Yes, and he mm -hmm. is the king of Chardonnay. He absolutely is. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So you make Chardonnay. We make Chardonnay. We also make a Fumé Blanc, and yeah. we make Cabernet still, mm -hmm. uh, Zinfandel, and also a Merlot. Uh, in addition to that, uh, those are the wines that you see most out and about uh, in stores. But we also have two other tiers, a Milenko selection, as well as our legacy selections. And those are mostly wine club, um, or um, oftentimes just for some of the finest restaurants in the country. And, you know... There's a, two different Chardonnays as well, a Paris Tasting Commemorative, which is a bigger, richer Chardonnay, and a Milenka Selection, which is lighter, uh, very elegant, uh, with more neutral oak. Uh, but we also have a Petite Syrah, and we have an old vine, Zinfandel, that's made from vines that are over 120 years old. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So for the wines, if somebody wants to be a part of your wine club and get mm -hmm. access to those extra special wines, mm -hmm. what's the best way to go about getting on that list? Mm -hmm. Very easy. You can join online. You just come to the website and say and ask, answer all the questions that say join our club. You can call us up at 707-963-2784 or you can send an email to wineclub at gurgich.com. Um, or you can just come to the winery and meet us and talk to us and try some of these amazing wines right here. What are some of the other great benefits of being a wine club member? Well, there's always, you know, there's the access to the wines. There are additional discounts that you get. Uh, but we also have a lot of events. And I remember uh, a few people talking about, uh, in fact, I was in Houston one time, and I realized that the gentleman who sat next to me was a club member. Um, and he said, do you mind if I say something? And he says, no, no, go ahead, say something. And so he stood up and said, you know, everybody who's here, you really need to become members of the wine club because this is the third time this year I've sat next to either Violet or Mike Gerg and had an event with them and it is just so much fun oh. so um, I think that's a big big joy of being a, a member is to have that connection uh, and to be able to come here we've got a big fourth of July festival that's a Croatian festival we have Croatian folk dancers Croatian roast lamb it's on the lawn of our giant uh, Victorian which is the heart of our vineyard in Yonville so lots of wonderful events so what's in the future for you What's in the future for Violet, mm. whether it's personal or mm. professional? What's what's mm. in the future? I think just continuing to get better and better. Um, you know, I think um, both personal and business goals are to have, you know, balance in life. And we make wines that are very balanced. And the idea of um, having all aspects of the business balance and work well together as well as my personal life. You know, something's always going up or down. And, you know, we do travel a lot, which is wonderful. I get a chance to meet fabulous people and sell wine. Um, but uh, having that balance, being able to maybe someday in the future play more music, that would be nice. If you had to put a percentage mm. on work, 
personal life and playing music, what, how would it break down? Oh, gosh. That's, that, that's way too hard of a question because I feel like I'm doing a lot of those often at the same time. So I actually do play music when I'm here at work. I play music for work. It's part of my personal life. My husband is always saying that you're always thinking about wine and the winery. So it's Oh, you're not, right. There's a lot of overlap. It's, there's, there's way too much overlap. And I think that's actually the way I like it. Last question before we wrap it up. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give someone, and I'm sure you've heard this question once or twice, Mm -hmm. from someone who says, I want to get in the wine business. Well, I guess you can say, (laughs) do you have a large fortune to start with? You'll end up with a small one. Um, But you know what? There's so many different things to do in the wine business. And I, I think that the best way to do it is to actually work in a tasting room and to um, get to know a winery's wines and uh, have knowledge of their history, and you learn about the winemaking process, um, and then to be able to share that with people who are hopefully passionate about wine, um, that will tell you a lot about whether you know the business is right for you. It's not an easy business. It's incredibly complex. It is difficult, but the joy is that you are making and selling something that brings people together and makes them happy. And if you're in the Napa Valley, you're in a beautiful place. Absolutely doesn't get any better than this well maybe Croatia <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. um, okay on that note we are going to wrap up what I like to call five quick questions now the idea is not to give a lot of thought to this <laughs> you did say quick after all <laughs> yes so. quick mm-hmm. um, but some people have some difficulty with mm-hmm. that so here we go what is the weirdest thing in your purse right now the weirdest thing in my purse mm-hmm. I'd have to think about that. What is, what's the weirdest thing? Oh, I've got wrist guards for my um, food. I always travel with food because I'm hypoglycemic. Yeah, um, wrist braces probably. Okay, oh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I don't do karaoke, unfortunately. Oh, come I, on. I, I, I. But I have been known, and you know, my dad, and um, he loves you, are my sunshine in case, sera, sera, so I have been known to sing that. Okay. Last piece of candy you ate. Mm. chocolate but chocolate is not candy chocolate is a food group in itself so last piece of candy would be um, what are those things called starburst okay what kind of car do you drive Ooh, my little blue car is a little Lexus convertible there you go and name one and it will be hard name one favorite restaurant in wine country oh my gosh we know there's many. That's very difficult. Well, why don't I just say a whole bunch in Napa? <laughs> well, that's I live that's in Napa. Politically and correct. Them, well, you know, there's so many wonderful. You know, I, the town of Napa itself has um, been mostly deserted for the last number of decades. And not only are there residents out now, but you can't even find parking in town because of the tourists. The restaurants have. I just, I, they're amazing. So okay. yeah, you I'll can go you. out every night of the month and still have something new. I'm going to let you have that as your answer. <laughs> I appreciate it. Violet, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you, Michelle. It's really been so much fun. Same here. Thank you so much. On behalf of Wine Country Women, I'm Michelle Mandro. I want to thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business 
Please continue to join us, share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at www.winecountrywomen.com. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.